What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. I found out long ago, it's a long way down the holiday road. And 600,000 people learned that same lesson when a famous travel company suddenly went out of business. The collapse required the British government to figure out how to get more than 100,000 citizens back home. This is Thomas Cook on Business on the Brink. Hi, everybody. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. And this week, we aren't doing a listener suggestion. But no, no. We're doing one that was recently in the news when we were uh, deciding to record this. It's a, a monumental story, one that uh, also I think a lot of Americans like you and I weren't, you know, we probably weren't really that familiar with this company. I certainly I, wasn't. I was not either. This was actually, a, this is a company, Thomas Cook is a company that to any listeners in the UK, you guys know all about this, but we hadn't really heard about it. In fact, I remember it was used as sort of a joke in a couple of British series that I watched and I had no idea. It just went it, right over your head. Exactly. I hadn't, it was one of those, those regionalized bits of humor that did not translate to me, even though they were speaking English. And it's weird, too, because the Thomas Cook Group, which is what the company was called once they shut down, uh, still the oldest longstanding travel agency ever. Yeah, more than it, a century old. And they did do excursions all over the world. So they were just most popular in UK, which is where they started. Yeah, and in fact, their founder, by no surprise, was named Thomas Cook Group. No, he was named Thomas Cook. And oh. the company was named Thomas Cook at first. Yes. So Thomas Cook started off not as someone who was planning out holidays 
for his fellow British citizens to go traipsing about in Tunisia. That was not the purpose. Uh, That's not how he got started. He got started on a much more sober endeavor. Oh, I see what you did there. That's very clever, Jonathan. Yes. Uh, Thomas Cook was a huge fan of temperance. Yes. He did not like alcohol. And in fact, he wasn't even like a jet setter. He was a cabinet maker. Yeah, and a former Baptist preacher. Yes. And he started his career as a travel agent by getting temperance supporters around England by train to their meetings. They yes. were 12-mile trips, one-day excursions, very small. Yeah, but this was back in 1841. And while the trips were small, the number of people was pretty large. He was getting up to 500 people to go on some of these trips. And what it really came down to is you're talking about a lot of people who had not had any experience booking any sort of travel. So to them, it was extremely intimidating. And he, because of his passion for the cause, was willing to take on the burden of responsibility to do all that work of the actual booking of tickets. So he handled all of that on behalf of the people. And that way he could ensure that he would get a passionate crowd to show up to these temperance gatherings. And they wouldn't, you know, the 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 barrier of getting on a train and figuring out where you're going and everything, that was lifted off of them. So they were more likely to participate. He he took that passion for getting these these people to these good causes, mm. what he considered good causes, at least. I'm not going to say it's not a good cause. Yeah. Uh, well, all I'm saying is that there's one drinker in this podcast, and it's not me. Look, <laughs> just because you're allergic. Yeah, and, uh-huh. and and by drinker, I mean Ariel occasionally has a drink. And then Jonathan laughs at me. Uh He expanded his trips to Sunday schools. So now he was organizing trips for people to get to temperance meetings and Sunday school meetings. Where those kids were getting lit. Woo! (laughs) Off the sacramental line. No, no. So he, yeah, this is obviously very modest. But what happened was that he, he began to learn that he was really good at this. He was good at organizing all these details. He was good at handling this and keeping stuff on track for other people. And he was starting to see the promise of this being a, let's say, more viable career than making cabinets. Yep. So he he uh, ran his very first commercial trip in 1845 all the way to the far-off land of Liverpool. Yeah. He was 100 years too early for the Beatles, so everyone was very disappointed. I know. I, I asked for a refund. <laughs> <laughs> so by 1846, he began offering tour trips to Scotland and made a lot of money by not taking anyone back out till they paid twice as much. It seems smart to me. No, I'm just uh, – that's me being it's, totally snooty. It still sounds smart to me. Yeah. He, um, he also th- – these were trips where people were taking – Uh, train and steamboat trips. So again, like he's coordinating multiple legs of a trip, something that a lot of people would have found intimidating or maybe even impossible to arrange. You know, you might not even know where to turn back in the mid-19th century. Without the internet. Yeah, there's no internet. You know, in fact, trains and steamboats are pretty darn new themselves. And on top of that, he began to produce guidebooks so that people would know more about the location they were going to visit. And he would answer very important questions such as, is it safe for ladies to travel to the highlands? That is not a joke. 
that really was one of the chapters. I, it is important to know. I have seen Outlander. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he moved from transportation for these trips mm-hmm. to actual tours. Mm-hmm. So kind of yes-anding the guidebooks. Yes. Yeah. This would be 1855. So now you could book an entire inclusive tour. And again, like he was seeing the things that people really liked about this sort of – this proto-travel agency that had grown kind of organically. They liked the fact that they could go to places and have these experiences and they liked being able to put more of the planning side on somebody else so they could just enjoy their trip. It's a holiday. You want it to be relaxing. Mm-hmm. Well, his first European tour started in England and ended at the International Exhibition in Paris. Mm-hmm. And to facilitate multi-country travel, he started offering foreign exchange services. Yeah. So pretty pretty forward thinking at this point. And then he began to offer holiday packages, which is kind of what we would think of for your typical travel agent these days. Like that's the kind of thing where, you know, it's the, the – everything. Transportation, is- hotel, and meals. Exactly. And, uh, and so, again, taking all that burden off the individual so they can just enjoy their trip. In 1865, he opened a store in Fleet Street, London. Yep, just down the uh, down the the way from a charming barber shop. Don't try the pies. Uh, and he had his son John start working with him. Yes, and uh, they also would sell tra- uh, travel accessories. Uh, they also would offer coupons with uh, with hotels that they had partnered with, uh, so that that way they could direct business to specific. Uh, facilities for a discounted price. And those hotels would do things like offer free meals and such. Yeah. So this was one of those deals where because of he was working in such volume, he could help out uh, hotels in distant places. They could help him out by cutting him a deal. Uh, This would turn out like we're still talking about the early, early days of this company. But when you sit there and think about this, these relationships – between a travel agency and these other parties like hotels, you start to see where the potential impact is going to be when we get to the sad part of the story where the company is unraveling. Yeah. Uh, But we're not there yet. No, we got a couple centuries to go. So a century. A century. In 1866, they started offering tours to the U.S. Yep. uh, They started uh, having to provide uh, English to American interpreters. So that people could understand each other. very important. Mm -hmm. Living in the South where they say the Southern accent is close to an old English accent, which probably was not that old anymore. Uh, Well, at that point. (laughs) It was a newer English accent. You you needed people, interpreters in the South, because we can't hear as fast as other people talk. It's true. It's true. We can't think as fast as other people talk, too. In 1871, they partnered with an American business. Hey, what do you mean we can't think as fast as other people talk? (laughs) Point case. Uh, in 1871, they partnered with an American businessman to help with their U.S. tours, but it was not a good partnership, and it eventually ended. Yes. I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, it is a jump ahead. Yeah. Also, in 1873, they had a London to London tour, which sounds like it would be super short, but instead it was London to London via the rest of the world. Was it in a hot air balloon like around the world in 80 days? It was not. It oh. cost 200 guineas. 
And a guinea. Like pigs? No, not like, like pigs. guinea pigs? 200 nope. guinea pigs? Mm-mm. Okay. No, a guinea <laughs> was one pound, one shilling, because the English have determined that the monetary transaction should be as confusing as it possibly can be. By this time, Thomas's son, John, was a partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, they changed the name of the company to Thomas Cook and Son, and John was focusing a lot on the commercial end because Thomas was really good at organizing all this, but not so much at the advertising. Yeah. And uh, John was getting more and more frustrated about that so that by 1878, he essentially said, you know what, Dad? You really – you've earned yourself a rest. Go have a stiff drink. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I almost forgot about the temperance stuff. <laughs> yeah, he never stopped with that opinion. So John ended up uh, taking over the business. Thomas stepped down. And John had sons of his own who also joined the family business. Three of them. Mm-hmm. And they were really good at running it. Uh, under John and his sons, they started delving into military transport, postal transport, and tours to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Within 10 years, they had locations all around the world. And a couple years after that, they had sold over 3 million tickets. Wow. So getting toward the end of the 19th century, in 1896, they then also uh, got a great privilege, a great honor. They were named the official travel agent for the Olympics in Athens, which would be the first modern version of the Olympics. That's a pretty big milestone, I think. Yeah, it's a great thing to have put on your brochures. I agree. In 1919, they started delving into luxuries such as recreational air travel, and things were going really well. And that's the end of the story. No. Because I don't like sad endings. No, we got... We got a lot of sad stuff to go through, but uh, it's actually a very complicated story. So before we get into that, I recommend we take a little break. Good. I need a stiff drink. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So uh, we're back. Ariel's a little tipsy. But uh, we're now going to continue with the story of Thomas Cook. By the time we get into the 1920s, uh, the grandsons of Thomas Cook. John's three sons. Yes. They, two at that time, I think. They, in turn, were ready to retire, right? So the family business was about to no longer be a family business. That is correct. They sold Thomas Cook, <laughs> oh. oh, goodness, to the Compagnie Internationale des Wagons-Lits et des Grandes Espaces Europeens. That was horrible. <laughs> it's a... It was a good attempt at a French accent. <laughs> I haven't done French since seventh grade. Yeah, no. Well, there was that whole Renaissance Festival time where you played a French person. <laughs> accent and actual French are communication two different things. are different things. Sure. So yes. Uh, so this French company comes in and uh, the CIWL and they they purchase uh, the the Thomas Cook Company. Some people say that the reason why this happened was that the Cook's grandsons were concerned with the financial health, long-term health of the Thomas Cook company and that they wanted to get out while the getting was good. Uh, CIWL had another high-profile company under uh, – like a name in travel that is infamous, right? And that would be – the Orient Express. I would say it's almost more infamous in literature. Yes, because murder on the Orient Express, yes. obviously. But yes, it's the Orient Express. So this is the same company that owns the Orient Express. But the CIWL would not hold on to Thomas Cook for very long. Not as long as the family owned it. No. Within less than tw- in less than 20 years, Germany occupied Belgium. Yes, which is where the headquarters for CIWL yes. were. And and that was because World War II was happening. Yes. And the British government stepped in. Yes. And nationalized Thomas Cook, folding it into British railways. Yeah, and this is not that different from what the United States did in the outbreak of World War One, when they essentially appropriated all the radio stations. Which is how we got RCA. Right. So which is – Again, you you can kind of understand it from a national security standpoint, right? You cannot have a major transportation company uh, being operated by a foreign power during a time of war. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense from a national security standpoint. So that is why the UK government nationalized Thomas Cook. Well, and after that, because after war people want to save money, you know, they started losing income, they started losing revenues because people wanted more economical travel packages. And Thomas Cook did sort of focus on the middle class and and providing reasonably priced 
travel trips. Yeah. Yeah. But they were having a hard time keeping up with this this cheaper demand. And on top of that, you know, they're government run. Governments are slow to make change. Yeah. Governments don't have to respond to the market the same way that a private company would. And so there were some really some big issues with how the government was running this. Um, You know, their goal was not to (laughs) – they had different priorities than a private company would. Mm -hmm. So it's not that it was necessarily worse. It was just different and not necessarily what customers were wanting. Exactly. So uh, that problem got solved when a bank, a hotel restaurant group, and an auto group walk into a bar. Yeah. Why the long face? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they they banded together and they decided that they would – purchase essentially the Thomas Cook from the British government, making it a private company again. That was in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And this was again where the company was mainly focused on these all-inclusive packages, right? You, you, You buy the whole holiday from Thomas Cook and you don't have to worry about anything. And because you had the auto company, you had the hotel and restaurant company, you had a bank in there. They were able to meet a lot of those with their own resources and whatever they didn't have, they could end up partnering with other companies. It just makes everything more streamlined. Yes. In the 1980s, Thomas Cook had a pretty big presence in the U.S. uh, due to traveler's checks because they were actually one of the they were one of the first companies to ever operate traveler's checks. Or or a precursor to them. Yeah. Uh, they were so big that they even opened a computer center. In the United States. In the United States. And yet I still had not the, heard of them. I was about to say, by the early 1990s, they were one of the world's leading foreign exchange retailers. They had acquired a company called Deke International, which got them to that point. Mm. And then they were acquired by a different combo group. Of businesses. So the the hotel restaurant group, the bank, and the auto company sold it to a different bank and travel conglomerate yes. company. This or time group of companies. This time to Westdeutsch Landesbank. <laughs> Westdeutsch Landsbank. Listen, why'd you let me say it if you could say it better? Yeah. Uh, West LB and the LTU group, which was an airline. <laughs> like it's Deutsch instead of Deutsch. Deutsch. Uh, in 1992, uh, they then acquired a bank subsidiary, uh, Interpayment Services Limited, in 94. And that made them the largest supplier of traveler's checks outside the United States. And then they sold their travel management business to Amex, which gave Amex about 10% of Thomas Cook's annual revenue. They really uh, were deciding they needed to start streamlining. Yeah. Yeah, And we've seen this many times where a company, you know, it diversifies to the point where it realizes, no, now we need to cut back on some areas because we've lost so much focus that we're not able to to function properly. Well, this is just the tip of their – Going back to a single focus. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to – yeah, it gets a lot worse before it gets – well, it doesn't get better. But Spoiler alert. It does not get better. It just keeps getting worse. Well, it gets slightly better for a little bit because in 1995, <laughs> LTU, the airline that was in partnership with West LB in owning Thomas Cook, bowed out. Mm-hmm. And so West LB bought a whole bunch of different travel operations, airlines and tour groups and things like that and rolled them all into the company under the brand JMC for mm-hmm. – John Mason Cook, Thomas Cook's son, Mm -hmm. and then took those properties and made their own airline. Yeah. Uh, This would also end up being a a big part of the problem in a few years. (laughs) It certainly would. So uh, 
They also ended up launching a website in 1997 and were one of the first companies, in fact, the first travel agency in the UK to offer travel packages that you could purchase online. So the, you, a lot of these companies, when we talk about them, the, this is the sort of thing that we tend to to point out and say. As, they, as the brink moment. Right, that they failed to adapt to changing times. At least at the, as far as web access, the web, the ability to purchase things online. Thomas Cook was on the front line. Yeah. But other elements of that changing landscape would be things they could not compete with. Exactly. Once we reached the 2000s, Thomas Cook decided to pare down their focus to just travel. Mm-hmm. So they sold their financial division service and they sold their foreign exchange service to TravelX. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, TravelX also would be able to use the Thomas Cook branding on uh, their checks for five years as part of this deal. So it Which was kind is of, smart. Yeah, kind of trading on that name. Also, just to make that transition a little less uh, rocky for anyone who was actually using those things. So that, that helped a bit. Uh, that same year, they finalized the sales of uh, the divisions. They also got acquired again, again by Condor and Neckermann Touristic AG in Germany. Why did you get the easy one to say? Because I saw it ahead of time and I jumped on it. <laughs> Jonathan. So they became Thomas Cook AG at this point. And it, to me, it's amazing how many times this company had been through these different mergers and acquisitions. And they're not done yet. No. Uh, in two, but before we get to their next acquisition, they launched their airline in 2003, officially. Yes, Thomas Cook Airlines. And then we get back into the mergers, acquisitions, and name changes. This one actually is possibly the most important one of all of Thomas Cook's history. Uh, in 2007, they merged with another company, the My Travel Group PLC, and this time the company would be known as Thomas Cook Group PLC. The name that they ended with. And this was – it was meant to expand the reach of Thomas Cook to new regions that otherwise they had not had a lot of uh, presence in, like Scandinavian countries. And they were doing it in an effort to also kind of consolidate things and ultimately save some money. Yeah, they were hoping these moves would save them about 75 million pounds a year. Yeah. And then they also merged operations with a, a, an organization called Cooperative Group and the Midlands Cooperative Society. And by combining all these, they became the largest. They became Mecca yeah, travel agency. Exactly. The largest chain of travel agencies in the United Kingdom. They had more than 1,200 physical shops, most of them located in what the Brits call the high streets. High streets are like the shopping districts. But here's the problem. We've seen over and over again how mergers and acquisitions, often the process is an incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. one. And often you're also looking at combining the debt of two sometimes very large organizations, which means you've got even more debt to deal with. That was the case with this merger. Well, and then on top of it, you've got the travel industry changing to more online, and they've got all of these shops. Yeah. So you've got overhead. You've got a billion dollars in debt by about 2010. That's about twice as much as what Thomas Cook had in 2007, just as this merger was taking Jeez place. Louise. Uh, you had the fact that online, it wasn't just that you could book things online. A lot of the, the grunt work that travel agents would do 
had become much easier to do yourself online. That's true. So, yeah. So, like, the, the, the reason why the average person would go to a travel agent was largely because I find this process intimidating. I want to hand it off to someone who knows what they're looking for. They already know the the reputable places. But with the internet, suddenly doing that research became much easier. And in fact, for a certain type of person, it's fun. I I sometimes enjoy it. Lately, for my last couple of trips, I've used a travel agent because it's, it. I mean, they don't cost me anything usually. Yeah. They they get paid through their partnerships with hotels and things like that. And so I find it much more relaxing to say, here's what I want. Find me something within my budget. Yeah, I would have never stayed at that amazing murder hotel if I had done that. You're going to have to tell me more about that. Let's take a quick break. Okay. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. 
That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. All right, we're, we're, uh, now that I've, I've caught Ariel up on Murder Hotel. I'm never going to sleep again. Yeah, uh, she's been hitting the drink twice as hard now. Uh, we're going to finish up and talk about the precipitous drop off the brink that Thomas Cook went through. And it was, this was something that happened so suddenly that it took a lot of people by complete surprise. Even, even people who had said, yeah, I knew that they weren't doing well financially were shocked at how fast this unraveled. Well, you never think that somebody's just going to close overnight when they've yeah. got tons of people all around the globe. So how we got there in 2007, like we said before the break, they had more brick-and-mortar locations than any other travel retailer. Right. But the travel industry as a whole was shifting online so quickly that that was not an asset. It was actually a liability. Yes. Because it was all that overhead. So much overhead, unlike an airplane with very little overhead space. Yes. <laughs> it's, all, it's all underfoot. In 2011, the company sought out $125 million, mm-hmm. dollars or pounds. I believe dollars, yeah. Uh, every report I saw was posted in a, uh American news uh, journal, so I just assume that that means we're talking dollars. But $125 million, whether it's dollars or pounds— Is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And they did this to— Tied over their cash shortage. Yes. Uh, so this was like a – they were in a real serious cash crunch that they just didn't have the money to keep operations we going. They a billion dollars in debt. Yeah. So this this was essentially to keep the lights on mm-hmm. and to be able to pay their, their staff. You know, keep in mind, their staff, it's not just travel agents. We're talking about flight crews. We're talking about, you know – Paying for the fuel for your your aircraft. There's tons of things that are part of this gargantuan business at this point. Yeah, it's it's mind boggling. Yeah. It, the next year, the company announced it was going to restructure and in the process closed 200 of its stores. Mm-hmm. And in 2013, the company announced that it was going to streamline by merging their airlines in Belgium, Scandinavia, the United Kingdom, and Germany into a single division. And in 2015. They announced a strategic partnership with a Chinese investment group called Fosun International. Which looked like it might have been a saving grace. Looked like it. Looked like it. It wasn't. The first half of 2018, the company was seeing a huge drop off in customers. Yes. And the reasons for this are are uh, multiple. Like, there's no one cause we can point to and say this is why people traveled less. There are actually quite a few different reasons that contributed in some way, shape, or form. For example, you've probably heard, if, you, if you're not in the UK, you've definitely heard about it. If you're in the UK, you're living it. We're so sorry. The Brexit process, right? So Brexit some people have argued, has discouraged a lot of travel. So a lot of people not knowing what was going to be in store for them, you know, financially or legally just to move in and out of Mm -hmm. countries in the EU, for example, they held off on holiday plans. So that was one argument. Another was that in 2018, the UK had an unusually warm winter. And in the UK... Winter is when a lot of Brits 
fly away to get to someplace that ain't so gosh darn dang cold. And damp and gray. Yeah, I, one of the coldest winters I ever spent was a June in the UK. June? Yeah, that's how cold it can get there. Wow. Yeah. No, I was in Scotland, the northern regions of Scotland, and it got chilly at night. No, but but yeah, it's it's. I mean, I always think about when I go to Orlando. Like if I go to Orlando in the summer uh, summer months, I see one type of uh, tourists all over the place. But if I go in the winter months, it's almost all Brits. <laughs> mm, yeah. And then there were also reports of management uh, being unconservative with their pay. Yeah. No, there were a lot of stories about top levels of management at Thomas Cook were having some of the most uh, uh, exorbitant like executive salaries and benefits. So there was a lot of stories about so essentially mismanagement, mm-hmm. you know, saying that people were were overpaid for their positions. At least that was the the perception. I'm not sure if that was the reality. And these these factors were compounded by the fact that by May of 2019, hotel and gas costs were up. Yep. And uh, that was making travel even more expensive. Which was cutting into the profit margin for Mm -hmm. these packages they were offering because they couldn't have the packages go up too much or people wouldn't buy them. But they couldn't have it hold at the lower levels because then they would be losing money on the deal. Exactly. So it put them in a rough place. Yeah. July of 2019, uh, Thomas Cook Group received an initial offer from Fosun to be purchased. Yet again. Again. So – that that was something that the company was considering, but by August 2019, they entered into a rescue package, which would give Fosun Tourism control of the Thomas Cook Group tours and vacations. It would give Thomas Cook uh, airlines to creditors and bondholders. And this package was 900 million pounds. So this looked like this might be able to keep the company going for that just under a billion pounds m- amount. But it wasn't. No, because another punch was right around the corner. Yeah. Just a month later, creditors were demanding an additional 200 million pounds in funding. Uh, Yeah. They were worried that 2019, uh, that the winter of 2019 slash 2020 was going to be a repeat of 2018. Which, you know, we live in the south and it's been a very hot September, October. It is 97 degrees and October 4th when we record this. So – not completely unfounded. Yeah, but that meant that the additional two hundred million was beyond what Fosun was willing to to negotiate, mm-hmm. and the deal essentially fell through. And it by falling through, the company crumbled. Yes, they went into immediate liquidation. This one hundred and seventy eight year old company closed its doors overnight. Mm-hmm. And. The big part of the problem that you've probably heard about if you've been paying attention to the news regarding Thomas Cook is that more than half a million people were on a Thomas Cook vacation while this happened. Golly. And you're talking about immediately ceasing operations, which means that airline doesn't exist anymore. Which meant thousands of people no longer had a way home. Yeah. You had folks who were trapped all over the place and – This is when the UK government had to look into how to fix this for at least the UK citizens. Now, keep in mind, there was like 600,000 people who were on vacation. Only about – I say only. It's still a huge number of people. About 160,000 of those were British citizens. And everybody else was kind of just plumb out of luck. Yeah, at least for this particular solution. And that solution was that the United Kingdom's Civil Aviation Authority would – 
start a repatriation peacetime program called Operation Matterhorn. Man, what, I guess it takes some of the sting out that you're going to have to depend upon your home country's government to get you back home if you're told that it's part of Operation Matterhorn. Uh, you mean a, a fun Disney ride? I mean, at least it gives it something like romantic as opposed <laughs> to get me the hell home. It does give you something pleasant sounding to tell your grandchildren. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, it was funny because I was actually reading news articles written about this whole experience. And for some people... I mean, it was very it was it was fr- frustrating, stressful. Uh, it was confusing, and you know, perplexing. But for some people, they got an unexpected, crazy upgrade to their experience because the CAA was chartering flights from pretty much any available airline that had aircraft, and some of them were luxury airlines. Ooh, charter flights are nice. Yeah, and these were, I mean, these were like commercial jets. These were like, but in some cases, they were commercial jets that were meant for luxury flights where you might end up in, you know, a luxury suite type situation that normally would cost you thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. of dollars. But because it was the government that was kind of coming in and swooping it up, you, you didn't have any extra cost. It was them trying to get you home. Uh, I, I would hope that the people who found themselves in that situation would be able to enjoy the unexpected benefit through all the stress. Well, and a lot of them also expressed a deep sense of empathy for the crew and the staff of Thomas Cook. There, the, Over and over, I read reports about how they wanted to make it clear that they were not blaming any of the people who worked there for what was happening. It wasn't their fault. Right. But that it was – and there were a lot of also reports that talked about how the flight crews, the Thomas Cook flight crews, knew – like as they were flying, they learned that their company no longer existed. and that, But when they landed, they literally would have no job. And if they were landing in another country, no way home. Yeah. Yeah, like you can't just take – you can't be like, well, I guess this plane's mine now. <laughs> I mean, and and flight attendants will sometimes take other airlines, but it's rare, like super rare. Yeah, now a lot of airlines did try and step in and honor Thomas Cook tickets in an effort to try and get people home because everyone recognized that this is an extraordinary set of circumstances. I, I want to say that despite how sad this story is, it's kind of nice to see – the community step in and, and try to be helpful and really care about their fellow man. Yeah. And it's still pretty – I mean, it's such a huge endeavor. Like the – we're recording this, like I said, on October 4th. Uh, the Operation Matterhorn continues through October 6th. So it will be over by the time you listen to this. But for us, it's still in the future. And the UK government has predicted that, according to their estimations, about 94% of the passengers who had booked to return to the UK by October 6th will have been flown back. So there still will be some people who will not have been flown back. And anyone whose travel plans went beyond the 6th, they're not covered by it either. Man, imagine if you were having a red eye morning of the 7th flight. I imagine that if you were traveling back, like you could cut your trip short. Right. And you could end up going back and getting on one of these government flights. Another issue that people were having is that there were a lot of uh, uh, hotels that weren't sure about how they were going to get paid. Mm -hmm. That, again, they were to be covered by the Thomas Cook 
company and by the UK, a lot of of travelers said that when they were trying to leave their hotel, they were being confronted by hotel staff and being told they had to pay their hotel stay. But as Thomas Cook customers, they had already paid for yeah. their holiday. So essentially, they were being told that they were going to have to pay twice. Man. So it was a huge mess. On top of that, back in the UK and around the world, really, 21,000 employees were out of work because the company they worked for no longer existed. Yeah. And all of the companies that do still exist that worked with Thomas Cook are worrying how they're going to make their money back. I mean, this is causing a cascade of financial issues. Yes. Yeah. Remember when we mentioned about how the company reached out and had these relationships with different hotels, for example. Mm -hmm. In Crete, 70% of the hotels in Crete were dependent on Thomas Cook to book travel packages that would help fill up those hotels. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't find people without Thomas Cook, but it means that a steady source of revenue is now gone, and mm-hmm. they're going to have to figure out how to manage without that that source. And that's one example in one island. There are a lot mm-hmm. of communities throughout the, uh, Europe and the Middle East in particular that are going to be struggling now without the Thomas Cook company being there. Yeah. It's crazy to me because this is this is not something you ever think of happening. Yeah. And it's the second time it's happened this year where a travel business has overnight shut its doors and left tons of people stranded. Yeah. It's, it's pretty terrifying. Now, again, like that's another indicator that the world has changed significantly, that now we're in a world where a lot of people – are doing some of this stuff, much of this stuff, on their own. Uh, my wife and I, we we handle everything because, well, my wife— Because you travel so much, you're pros? My wife works in the travel industry, so it's almost like I'm married to someone who does this anyway. <laughs> um, so that that's part of it. But, yeah, I, like there are certainly times where we've gone to other countries where we have booked tours and stuff— uh, we still do it kind of piecemeal, like we're doing it tour by tour. Mm-hmm. But we book tours because it's a very efficient way for us to go and see something that we're not familiar with. And we don't have to worry about how are we going to get there? How are we going to get back? How are we going to get food? How are we going to plan out our time? All of that's taken care of. You know, you can have the flip side of that where you're like, oh, well, with that trade-off comes the freedom to be able to do what you want when you want. Like mm-hmm. if you find something you are particularly interested in, but the tour means you have to keep on going, it means that you got to cut things short. That's frustrating. So there's a trade-off there. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's not that travel agencies are over. There are still plenty out there. There's still a lot of travel agents out there. But I think it's increasingly difficult to uh, to work as a business with the internet, unless mm-hmm. there are those of us who have booked the travel ourselves and thought, I just don't want to have to deal with that. I'm gonna yeah. get, I'm gonna pay someone else to do there, it. There's certainly less need for them, and therefore less market for as many as there used to be. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's not the sort of thing that you expect to see a brick and mortar travel agency anymore. Like in the '80s. You might go to a shopping center and you'd see like a travel agency there. Mm-hmm. It's much more rare to encounter that kind of thing just, you know, yeah. randomly out in the world these days. So um, don't just book it. Thomas Cook, cook, cook it. it. Uh, it's so sad because I love that. I love that motto. Yeah. Yeah. I, it'll be 
I, I really, I'm really hopeful all those people affected, all the ones who were affected by having their, their holiday impacted, all those who had holiday plans that are now gone because mm-hmm. the company's gone, and all the people who worked for that company, I really hope things work out well for them. This was uh, a dramatic fall from the brink, like about as dramatic as we've covered so far. I I would have to agree. Uh... So if you want more happy-go-lucky <laughs> stories about thousands of people getting out of work, uh, t- why not let us know what companies we should cover next? Ariel, how do they reach out to us? You can email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. Yes, and visit our website at thebrinkpodcast.show. You will find an archive of every single episode we ever recorded. You'll also find information about your beloved hosts. And until next time, I have been Jonathan Strickland. And I have been Ariel Kasten. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. I oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.